Drink beer. Think beer. You're listening to Broodblood. Episode 100 of Broodbloods. We finally made it. How do we make it here, man? I, can't I don't know. It. There was a threat last, last week. We didn't think we were going to make it, but here we are. <laughs> Most most weeks, I feel like we're not going to make it to, <laughs> yeah, to the very next week. Sometimes so much less all the way to one hundred. Yeah, it's a little. <laughs> it's dicey playing loosey goosey with it, and <laughs> sometimes we don't quite make it. Uh, kind of like last week. <laughs> yes, like we don't want to record a full episode. We're just going to do a shorty. But Absolutely, yeah. episode one hundred. I can't believe it's been oh, two years ish since we decided ish, to start yeah. this when we were still doing another podcast, and we decided to start this one. Yeah, was it and was it April twenty fifteen? Uh, something like that. Wow. So and, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure it was. Here we are, uh, 100 episodes and 10 shorties later. Yes. Here we are. I'm glad you counted the shorties. I had no idea how many we had. Yeah, I decided to count that the other day. So we've done <laughs> technically 110 episodes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've. Uh, I think it's been an inter- interesting run. It has. Uh, we. I think it's been up and down. It's you up know, and down. We've had to run from uh, the Prairie Mob. <laughs> That's we've true. Had to, uh, that was early on. We've had to move around locations. We used yeah. to be in the uh, flickering light of your studio. Now <laughs> yeah. we have to go out to the back patio of my house. That's right. The much <laughs> and, improved uh, back patio. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's been more ups and downs. Yeah. Um, I think I think we've definitely improved. I haven't, although I haven't gone back and listened to any of the past episodes ever. Wow, ever? No, I never have. I've Not gone even. back and listened to one before just to see how it was. It wasn't too good. Pretty rough. But um, yeah, yeah it, we've, gotten, we've gotten a lot better since that was, then. It was early days. Yeah, exactly. We had our training wheels on. Of course, it's our most downloaded one. It's not yeah, very good. Of course, so. yeah. You know, what do you want? One of the, some of the highlights other than the first, uh, first one when we did the, uh, the Three-Eyed Raven from Omegong and that was a good The one. Onion posted an article. They, it was the, the same week that Barack <laughs> Club, Obama right? yeah, went on with Mark yeah. Maron with his podcast. Is Onion and Navy Club the same thing? Yeah. I actually didn't know that. Okay. And then they posted an article and included us in the same article as a beer podcast recommendation. As President Obama, of course. Yeah. yeah. We're in the same class, apparently. I think he's the one that recommended us. (laughs) He did. I'm pretty sure he told Mark Mayer, my favorite (laughs) podcast is Brewbloods. Yes. Uh, that was a big uh, surprise. We're going to say we're Obama supported, whether he was, whether he said it or not. And I can't remember if they notified us that they put us in the article, or if we just stumbled upon it randomly. I, I think I, they told us. Did yeah. they? Uh, so thanks to AV Club. I can't remember the guy who wrote the article, but that was that was. We a had a couple of reviews of us in the early years, uh, not so much lately, but we've had. A yeah, few. Uh, we're old news now. Well, we are. Yeah, it's yeah. always about the new hotness, and <laughs> right. just about any front craft beer and podcasting, it's, yeah. it's the new hotness. Exactly. But thanks to everyone who listens to the show over the years, we appreciate all the contributions. Absolutely. Um, all the feedback we've gotten. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate. Appreciate it. Uh, this episode, we're actually at Lakewood Brewing today. That's where we are right now, as we're we talking are, to you. As we're in yeah, their in their this. vast, very nice tap room. Yeah, gorgeous tap room. So our very first episode was French Quarter Temptress, which yes. is one of the Temptress variants. And, uh, and Lakewood's been a uh, brewer we've gone back to a few times. They have. Uh, we, we did the Coconut Temptress variant. We did. We reviewed a couple of BBTs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've we've touched on we've touched on Lakewood a few times. As we said, at one point we might as well become the official Lakewood uh, exactly. podcast between Lakewood and Petacolas. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> split yeah, a lot of exactly. time there. And we did. We like to keep it local sometimes. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, we did. We've covered them a number of times, and we talked to Wim Benz very briefly, very drunkenly at yes. Untapped. I think it was or Big Texas. I think it was Big and, Texas. Yes, it was inside. It was a couple, it was a couple years ago. Yes, and uh, unfortunately, I think he probably remembers that. Yes, I think he does. Um, <laughs> but luckily, it didn't dissuade him from coming on this show. Yeah, that's true. And so I reached out to their marketing team and said. We're approaching 100, and we would love to kind of bring things full circle yeah. and talk to Wim for real in a sober state. We're not going to like close the circle now. Yeah, but this no. is just to, to encompass the first. Well, that's 100. not true. Every week is uh, that's true. I mean, it may we be might lock things up and throw it away. Yeah, key. true. Yeah, um, but we really appreciate. It. We got a very quick response to it, and um, oh yeah, 
Uh, I can't say enough nice things about Lakewood and Wynn. People that aren't in the DFW area, Lakewood's one of the one of the big boys too. It so is. they got a lot going on, and yep. Wynn's got a lot going on. So yeah, it's it's nice that that he took the time and did this. Yeah, I appreciate him carving out some time for us. So this is episode 100. Thanks again, everybody. This is president and founder of a Lakewood Brewing Company, Wim Benz. Benz, welcome to Brew Bloods, episode 100. Thank you. Your uh, French Quarter Temptress was our very first beer on the show almost two years ago, I guess it was. That's awesome. And I don't know if you remember, we had a rather drunken experience at Untapped a few years ago. <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. That's just kind we of the way that goes. Again. <clears throat> um, so, congratulations on your success. Thanks. You guys started in 2012, is that we right? We started January, well, we... Uh, started. We moved into the building in January of twelve, okay. and then we um, did about six, seven months of build out. Brewed our first batch in mid July, and then uh, released our first two beers, which was Rock Rider and Hop Trap, on August third. So, uh, in that time, you become definitely DFW's one of you're one of the more preeminent brewers in the area for sure. Sure, um, I'm kind of interested to know how since that time your second wave uh, with after Ron Franconi, your second wave with kind of Deep Ellum and some others. Sure. How have you seen Lakewood change in that time, and um, is it did it necessarily go in the direction you wanted it to? Because I know you you sought out Belgian influences. Sure. And do you like the way it's evolved? <clears throat> well, it definitely has evolved. Um, you know, when when we first started, um, you know, by the end of our first year, there were five or six breweries in DFW. Um, now there's close to fifty. So that's definitely been an evolution over just the past you know four years. Um, so that's been a huge change. Uh, the consumers changed. Um, the entire beer landscapes changed. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's definitely not what we thought it would be. Um, we are, you know, we're 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 blessed with having, um, you know, having success and and being able to grow quickly right off the you know right out of the gate. Um, but it's it's definitely uh, been a challenge. I mean, there's it continues to be challenges, and that's just right. the way it is because the industry is evolving so quickly. Um, I'll tell you that when we first started out, we had, uh, you know, three or four employees and, um, our initial business model had us growing at adding about a thousand barrels annually and adding one person annually to account for those thousand barrels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the first year, we were at 13 people (laughs) and we were not making 13,000 barrels. We were making about three. So we, uh, we didn't really anticipate the amount of, um, the amount of hands that you need. Uh, it's very labor intensive and, and, you know, sales as well. You know, you, you have to have your outside sales to, um, to make sure you remain relevant and top of mind. So do you like the way your yeah, I know um, your beer styles here have evolved over the years. Do you like the way it's gone from seeking out Belgian styles to you've gone a rainbow direction since then? I have. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think the and and that I think was a little bit of a fault on our part is that, you know, our first sort of tagline was Belgian roots, Texas brewed. And that really had more to do with me than it really did with the beer. Because when we first started out we had a Belgian IPA, we had an American uh, rye wheat beer. We had uh, Temptress, which is English-inspired, and we had Lager, still have Lager, uh, which is uh, a Vienna Lager. So even our core four, when we started out, we only had one Belgian beer. 
it wasn't that we were trying to put Belgian influence into every single beer. And I think the sort of our internal motto has been to, um, um, you know, cre- create the best beer no matter where it, where it's from in the world. You know, just be, be, uh, uh, so our internal, I remember now, <laughs> our, internal, our internal motto was uh, locally crafted and internationally inspired, which I think speaks a little bit right. more to what our portfolio is because we make, you know, everything a from a Czech Pills to, you know, an American Session IPA and everything in between. So Right. You started out with 11 <clears throat> beers initially, right? Something like that? Something like that. So we had the core four, um, and then we started coming out with seasonals. So we had four seasonals, and uh, so that's eight. And then we had BBT, which... The first year was our winter seasonal. Mm-hmm. Um, then after that, it you know became a special release, and then our anniversary beer. So yeah, about you know about ten or eleven that first year. So you you mentioned Temptress and that being one of your four core beers. Yeah, um, and it's been a it seems to have been a big part of your success. We always mention that uh, you can find Temptress or uh, Velvet Hammer <clears throat> in almost everywhere, and those are two very marquee DFW beers that sure, you can find absolutely. anywhere. Um, how important is that to your success? Would you say Temptress helps lead people to other beers, or just having a having a brewery that yeah. has a flagship beer like that? Right. Well, it's definitely the beer to put us on the map. Yep. Right. It's the most talked about beer that we make. Yep. Um, not necessarily the most produced. Um, right now, it is, mm-hmm. uh, but it you know a lot of it has to do with seasonality and just sort of you know what people are drinking at the time. So lager and lager and Temptress are really kind of neck and neck for the amount of uh just by volume um but nobody talks about lager right <laughs> true because yeah. the guy the, the guys that are drinking lager are not the guys that produce podcasts <laughs> that's, yeah, that's <laughs> probably true yeah. so um the guys that produce podcasts are looking for rare barrel age stuff and <laughs> right, super right. high octane stuff right yeah, exactly. that's interest in all their variants exactly. Yeah, exactly that's the very sexy beer <laughs> so um but I think that's I think that's really great because our external motto is beer for whichever neighborhood you call home. Mm-hmm. So I like to think that we make a beer for every palate, for every drinker, for every occasion, right? Sure. I mean, I'll call very blue collar beer, right? It's for it's made for cops and firefighters, mm-hmm. and cops and firefighters are not necessarily super craft savvy. Right, or they're just getting into it. So we wanted to make something that's very approachable and that speaks to a certain demographic. These people that are drinking alcohol or drinking lager are not necessarily drinking temptress, but it's a way to get people into craft. It's definitely a gateway beer, right? And we've, right. you guys sure. have talked about gateway beers, I'm yeah. sure. Oh yeah. So alcohol is definitely a gateway beer, just from the very base. If you're drinking American light lager, this will not scare you. I've poured out a. Um, I've poured a, uh, a Lakewood lager for, you know, your big beer guy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, that's dark beer. I'm like, well, no. It's a 4.6% Vienna lager. It's just a different color than you're used to. Yeah. That happened with my father. <laughs> so, I've been a drinker his whole life. I right. We, that one, yeah. Exactly. We all know somebody like that. So, <laughs> right. so making a beer like Alcohol, which not only has a great cause because it supports um, the, uh, the families of fallen first responders, but it's also a really great gateway beer because it it looks like your domestic light. Mm-hmm. It's not far off in flavor from your domestic light, but it's well crafted. It's crafted with 100% barley. Um, you know, it's it's the, it's a craft beer, definitely in every sense of the word. But the person that's drinking this now has an af- affinity with with us and might try Liquid Lager next and might mm-hmm. say, "Hey, you know, that's all right." True. And then go up the chain and 
and end up with temperatures. Everybody or just stay with alcohol. That's fine, too. Sure, yeah. Everybody needs that gateway beer to exactly. get them in the door. Mine was yeah. St. Arnold Fancy Lawnmower yep. back in the day. Yep. So kind of a strength, I think, for a lot of people. It tastes like grass, but, you know. <laughs> um, so speaking of alcohol, um, yeah. you guys are really involved in the community. Yep. Uh, you guys support charities. Absolutely. What's kind of your process? Uh, I mean, I think police and firefighters are you know, pretty obvious, but right. uh, other charities you selected, what's your process for selecting those charities and uh, what's one maybe you have coming up? It's kind of, it's kind of evolved over time. Um, you know, we've, we've, <laughs> we've had a relationship with the Garland police department mm-hmm. since, since we were digging trenches, yeah. you know, I mean, we had, you know, we had cops on their beat stop by. And of course, the first time they walk into the building, they're, you know, <laughs> full in full uniform, <laughs> you know, we're just trying to start up this little brewery and uh, we're like, holy shit. Yeah, you know the right. fuzz is here, <laughs> and uh, you know immediately they're like, "Hey, we heard there's a brewery coming in. You know, that's this is great. We're really excited, and they're super supportive. And they're like, "Hey, you know, we'll we'll beef up patrol around here. How about that?" Oh, and nice. we're like, "Hey, that's great." So, you know, we've we've had a really good relationship with um, with Garland PD, and then you know through all call police and fire departments across the metroplex and across the state. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's that's been really great. So that kind of evolved over time. You know, we we've been talking with. We'd been talking with the um, the Guns and Hoses Foundation for a long time, going, "Hey, wouldn't it be great if?" Because we had supported them before we made the beer. Wouldn't it be great if you know we had a Guns and Hoses beer? And we're like, "Yeah, okay, you know, we're thinking about it." And it, it took about two years going through recipe formulation, going through the name, which is always a huge, can be a huge pain in the butt, mm-hmm. um, and then finally landing on a beer that that we're excited about as craft beer makers and that Guns N' Hoses was excited about as as an organization and not necessarily craft beer drinkers, but it was really a beer that they could rally around. Did they have to approve the final recipe or did they get final approval on that? It was, I mean, it was a, we knew, we knew sort of direction we wanted to go, right? Yeah, sure. We, we weren't going to make an, an Imperial Stout. Right, right, right. We already had one of those, but you know, we were going to make something very approachable and we were, we set out to make a gateway beer. Let's right. make this easy, easy drinking for, you know, guys getting off their shift, guys getting off their beat and, um, you know, just to kick back and, uh, after a very stressful day mm-hmm. fighting crime or fighting fires or, or transporting people to the hospital, um, you know, really make it something that they can just relax with and, uh, feel good that they're, that they're drinking a beer that's supporting, what they do on a daily basis. Right. You know, so that being said, um, we've also been extremely, um, active in the LGBT community, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, sort of, uh, the other, the other end of the spectrum, some might say, you know, a very, um, uh, I mean, I think law enforcement tends to be a little bit more of a conservative movement and, um, LGBT tends to be more progressive, more liberal. So again, Beer, beer for whichever neighborhood you call home, right? right. We don't discriminate. Um, we love everybody in our community, right? Sure. And uh, it's, um, <clears throat> it's uh, you know, I think it was the LGBT community has been very underserved by craft beer just because I think companies were a little afraid to sort of dip their toe into that pond sure. because they didn't know what the backlash might be from their, from their base, right? We've seen yeah, some of that in the opposition where uh, Yingling, the owner Yingling, mm-hmm. uh, backed a certain presidential candidate and got a lot of blowback on the opposite direction. Right, so, exactly. Yeah, so that, yeah. it's, it can be a very tricky thing when, when organizations get quote-unquote political. Yeah, sure. Um, it, can, it, can be a bad, you know, it can be a bad thing. I think the, with, with us supporting uh, 
you know, supporting first responders and supporting um, uh, the LGBT community, we've probably lost some fans on both sides through that. I mean, we when we when um, uh, it became federally legal to for same sex couples to marry, we had a huge open house. We we had glassware for it and we celebrated it, mm-hmm. and we had some nasty comments on social media about it sure and you know what if you know if i'm gonna lose lose that guy as as a beer drinker or girl as a beer drinker um that's fine yeah yeah you know uh you know we don't need you in the pool it's great because we're we're gonna make it up with with the numbers of people that do support us and do support you know everything that we do so i like to think of craft beer as kind of a divisive (laughs) unity anyways i mean it tends to bring people together from disparate backgrounds. Yeah. And at least, much like food, I mean, yep. you can relate whether you like or hate the beer. You can, it's something you can talk about and yeah. kind of get into each other's personality. There, there is that sexist bro culture that has been in craft beer before some of the name beer, you know, but sure. I think that's evolving sure. some as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, you're going to find that anywhere, I guess. It, but it has tended to be a straight yeah. white male yeah. you know, enterprise, drinking of it, consuming of it. Right. And yeah. I think that is slowly changing. You know, thank you. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Some evolution. But that, I think some of that hard-edged bro culture is still got a bit of a toe in the water sometimes. <laughs> sure, of course. kind of nasty. So. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's... We... we yeah. Look, all, all we can do is... is make the best damn beer possible mm-hmm. and share it with as many people as we can. Yeah. Right? To, yeah, well, yeah. to, fur, to further the craft movement and say, hey, you can drink a better beer. Sure. Here, right. drink this, you know? And, and you know, beer's, beer is the ultimate equalizer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, I whether, agree. Whether, yeah. whether you are Republican or Democrat, um, you know, I would hope that things can be talked about over a beer. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Eases tensions. Exactly. Yeah. As long as you don't go too far with it. Right. So speaking of challenges, um, mm-hmm. when you guys came along with your second wave, I would imagine RAR and Franconia, I mean, obviously Austin had already had their beer scene, but... I imagine being new to the Dallas area, they face a certain set of challenges, maybe legally within McKinney and Fort Worth. Uh, and I would imagine, conversely, the people that came after you, you probably eased some restrictions for them. Right. So what, this is not necessarily even legal challenges, but um, what challenges did you face being part of that second wave that maybe the, the, the latest breweries, these new 40 or 50, don't <laughs> right. face? Right, uh, a lot of A lot of cities have sort of seen the, seen the light um, and have relaxed their... Um, either their building code or their zoning code. Uh, when we were looking for buildings in Dallas, because we wanted we wanted to be in Dallas initially, um, uh, there <laughs> the the only zone that you could produce alcohol was a highly industrial zone, mm-hmm. not a light industrial, high industrial, which means you're somewhere between a pig farm and battery recycling. Right. Wow. Right. So there's there's so that's step one. Okay, where Who doesn't want to build a tap room by a tire fire. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you know, so 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 the first thing you do is okay, where can I put my building? Well, you can put it in high industrial zones. Okay, well that narrows down the map to you know ten percent of the county or the city. Mm-hmm. Okay, within that, what do the buildings look like? Right. So now I need a building that's X amount of square feet. I need a ten thousand square feet, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well now. You're narrowing it down even further. Okay, now I need three-phase power. Okay, now you're narrowing it down further. Now I need to make sure that the plumbing going in and going out is big enough. Now you're narrowing it down even further. And the last sort of nail in the coffin 
was that Dallas at the time, this has changed since then, Dallas at the time required a special use permit to be able to open up a facility that produced alcoholic beverages, which meant that I would need to sign a lease or buy a building, if I could find one, Mm -hmm. then go through the SUP process, which would take three months. So now I'm paying rent for yeah. three months or a mortgage for three months. For a building you can't use. For, and for, <laughs> for a building, I potentially will be denied use for. Right, right, exactly, yeah. So, you know, after we saw all that, we're just like, well, I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> That's out. That's a lot of risk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. That's, well, one, it's too much risk, and two, you just, you're not going to find it. Right, right. So um, th- those laws have changed since then. It's a lot easier for breweries to be able to, you know, find their, find their home. Um, but at the time, we went looking elsewhere. So we went looking in Mesquite, um, and we went looking in Garland, because we still wanted to be as close to East Dallas as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, we found the original building that we moved into next door. Um, it was off-market. Um, it was through a, a friend of our um, real estate agent that we were working for. You know, It all just kind of right. came together. It was, a, it was a guy that owned a... Um, uh, Highland Carpet Company is the warehouse and showroom, and he was looking to retire, and um, it just kind of worked out. It worked out great. So, you know, people gave us a lot of shit about being in Garland and being right. called Lakewood Brewing Company. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. At the very beginning. Yeah. At the you very, lived in Lakewood, right? I mean, yeah, and I still live, so I still live in Lakewood. Oh, it's, all, it's your company, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it started, you know, the... <laughs> I mean, we had all kinds of explanations, it's, it's right? Based. Hey, you got a part we of like, in your head going. Yeah, it's lines. like, well, you know, it's it started in the garage in Lakewood, and well, you know, Lakewood is more of a state of mind because it's about you know right. being inclusive and welcoming, and we still have those pillars right. as the brewery. It's mm-hmm. being inclusive, welcoming, and creative. Yeah, you know. So, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, after people sort of ribbed us on that for you know about a month, nobody gave a shit after that. Sure. You yeah, know, you can always open up another tap room somewhere in Lakewood. Right, <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> rent's real high there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So um, yeah. Where are we going with that? <laughs> uh, we were talking about <laughs> what was the legal question? challenges and what's the question? You faced? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. The, so the, so right. So the challenge was finding finding a place. The great thing about Garland was that we came in here. We had a meeting. It being a smaller city, we had a pre-planning meeting. It was the um, the street guy, the parking guy, the zoning guy, the fire marshal, and basically everybody in a room together. Mm. And, you know, I said, okay, what do you want to do? We want to open up a brewery. Okay, zoning, where can he go? Fire, what does he need? And we had, we had our marching orders, and we could go find a building, which wow. was great. And Garland was a lot more relaxed mm-hmm. um, about where we could go because it's a, it's a pretty industrial town to start with. Right. So, you know, they're not... They're not afraid of, yeah. <laughs> of a little beer company. Right. No, I, I would imagine that. So that was one of the challenges. The name, you know, the name was initially not really a challenge. It was right, just right. kind of a, uh, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there are tons more challenges, <laughs> but that's just the, yeah. you know, that's just what happens when you open up a small business. True. So, uh, going back to just the different styles that you guys have brewed, yeah. um, you recently started a, a, or I guess fairly recently at least, started a sour program, correct? And you were going to have, have a separate facility for that. Uh, yep. h- how's that been going so far? It's going great. Um, we are uh, trying to figure out how much I can say. <laughs> sure. Um, so we have we have beer that's been aging up to four years well, currently. Nice. And we are starting to look at 
um, maybe doing very small releases of those beers. Like wow. to the public or maybe tap room only type Maybe tap room or? only. Okay. Um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see where that lands. We're still looking for, for some equipment. Um, but the beer is fantastic, and we're, we're really excited about it. Um, it'll be sort of a I, – I can't really call it, it – it's lambic style, I guess. Um, it's not true lambic because it wasn't spontaneously fermented. Sure. But it's, um, you know, it's sour beer that we have going back for three years that we can now start blending. Oh, okay. That's great. So, yeah. So did you feel, to take on sours, did you, is that something you wanted to do? I mean, the, the trend has been going towards sours for a couple of years now. Did you feel like the, the women right. of the public demanded that you get into sours, or did you already? No, it's just something we wanted to do, yeah. you know. I mean, we're, we're constantly trying, and the, you know, all the brewers, it's doing, doing the same beer day in, day out, while is a challenge to keep it absolutely consistent every time mm-hmm. can, you know, can get a little boring. Sure. So we are constantly trying to come up with new beers, new seasonal beers, new limited release beers, um, the sour program. And it keeps, it keeps us all engaged and, and it's fun and it's a new challenge and um, it keeps us learning and keps us creative. Is that part of what led to the Temptress variants as well? Just to try to keep it. Yeah, well, the Temptress, the Temptress variants kind of started out. They, the Temptress variants started out at our, I think our first Let's Get Weird party, which is our Halloween party, and we were like, well, let's get weird with Temptress. So we made all these different firkins, and we made we made raspberry. We made like three t- three different types of Captain Crunch. Um, we made mole with actual mole, like chicken stock based yeah. mole. That was <laughs> um, so we made all these all these cool little variants. And some of them, you know, tasted horrible. Some of them just didn't work. Some of them worked. And so the next year, we scaled it up to from just one firkin to a 30-barrel batch. And we did raspberry. We did mole. Uh, we did French Quarter. And I think we did cinnamon that year. And then the year after that, we went into Bombers. We did that for two years. And then this year, we're in four packs. So, so which- it's kind of evolved. It, yep. um, yeah. Which of the variants sells the best? Uh, French Quarter. French Quarter. Yep. Yeah, the uh, Mole just came out, right? The the small bottles of the yeah Mole just yeah Mole just released a month or two ago. Yeah, we just got those in the mail a couple yep. uh, last week or week before. Yeah, yep. it's a great beer. I highly yep. recommend that beer. Yeah, and then we got out. Coconut coming out. That's a new variant for yeah. us this year. Any plans to bring the Cap and Crunch uh, forward? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I wonder what legal. That one sounds interesting. Legal we require, you would face. require way too much Cap and Crunch <laughs> to make that work. <laughs> Have to take an entire shipment. Exactly. So, what's the story behind Temptress? I'm interested because it's definitely your flagship beer. Um, so temp- is there a story behind it? There is. Yeah, Temptress was a mistake. We're trying to make a porter, um, oh. <laughs> and we let the boil go too long. Uh, no, literally. Um, so we, uh, I had, um, I have family up in the Pacific Northwest. My uh, in-laws live up there, and my wife and I took a trip out to Coeur d'Alene, which is just across the border from Spokane, uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and. Um, beautiful country i mean it's you know it's giant mountains crystal clear you know um almost like a glacial lake you know it's just really really pretty and there's this really cute little town there and there's a, a little brewery there called cordeline brewing and we were i wasn't i i i was sort of at the two or three years in the home brewing and, and i was really excited about beer and obviously and um had dreams of one day opening up a brewery so I go in there and, you know, we're talking with the guy and they had a, um, I think it was a vanilla porter and 
I'd never put vanilla in a bean in a beer before. And I really liked the beer. And I was like, well, I'm going to go home and I'm going to try and recreate that. So, um, we tried it out and I think our refractometer wasn't working. Um, anyway, long story short, we, we, you know, extracted too much. We, we basically made an Imperial Porter. (laughs) Oh, okay. Right. Which turned in, which turned in basically a stout, Imperial stout. So, um, there's nothing wrong with it. We didn't, you know, we set out to make a porter and we ended up with an Imperial stout. So just, you know, higher ABV (laughs) and, uh, you know, we fermented it out and, um, and, you know, put the vanilla in it and it was great. And it was just one of those, oh man, that's, that's a really good beer. (laughs) A good accident. That was a great accident, you know, happy accidents. (laughs) And we, we kept making the beer, um, and you know, refined the recipe and changed some things. Um, Temptress initially had oats in it. Uh, the first, the first batch that we did here also had oats in it. Um, I'll get that, that, get to that in a second. That's a good story too. But anyway, we, we kept sort of, you know, refining the recipe and then we went to Brew Riot, um, the year, I guess the year before we opened 2011 and we had, we knew we were opening. We had already formed an LLC. We had all our pilot batches. So we had, uh, Pond Hopper, which turned into Hop Trap. We had Temptress. So we had the name Temptress then, mm-hmm. and we had Rock Rider. And, um, you know, if you've ever been to Brew Rider, it's outside, it's sure. in May, it's hot, it's yeah. on the street, right? <laughs> And it was just one of those really hot, muggy May days, just kind of like today. And um, we're like, okay. So we're all, we're all setting up under the tent. And we're like, okay, well, who's going to drink what? Because we're like, okay, this is, this is sort of our first time to really put our beer out to the public. And we really want to capture as much information as we can to what the demographic breakdown is going to be. Who's going to drink what beer and mm-hmm. what do they like? Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, well, it's a hot sticky texas day everyone's gonna go for rock rider because that's a wheat beer and wheat beers are all the rage right of course (laughs) in 2011 not anymore (laughs) um you know we're gonna have an ipa so we're you know definitely have some ipa drinkers out there so that'll be good and then you know the the brew blood kind of guys will come (laughs) and drink the uh drink the temptress cool so the day sort of does its thing and um you know, we had good response on all the beers, and then we had we had some women come up, and of course, we're trying to sell everybody on everything, right? We're mm-hmm. like, hey, this tastes like this tastes like chocolate cake. Mm-hmm. Have some. Oh, I don't know. That looks pretty dark, and they're giving us giving us the oh, I don't, I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure. And we're like, just drink it. And that I think that's one of the really cool things about Temptress is it's it's got a barrier to entry, but man, as soon as you, as soon as you taste that once, mm-hmm. and if you like anything that that beer has to offer, you're hooked. Okay. Right. Absolutely. So once, once women started tasting that beer and going, Oh my God, this is so decadent and it's rich and it's chocolatey and it, it doesn't really taste like beer. Cause I don't really like beer. I'm just here mm-hmm. with my husband, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was sort of this viral, chatter that starts spreading out to the crowd and the next thing we know we have this long ass line of women drinking temptress on a hot nice summer day in texas so we're like okay well i think we might be onto something and it completely blew our expectations out of the water because we had we didn't know how that was going to go we thought it was just going to be you know niche you know we'll 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 do temptress as our oh i don't know our winter seasonal or something Mm -hmm. but it took off so um so that was really eye-opening, and I'm glad we did that 
Because if we hadn't, you know, we may not have released Temptress as a year-round beer, at least right. not initially. But we did. Um, so then we get, so then we build out and we do everything here, and uh, we brew our first batch of Temptress here. Because we brewed Rock Rider and Hop Trap, and we're like, okay, now we need to brew Temptress. Okay, so we brew Temptress, and uh, like I said, it had oats in it, mm-hmm. which worked great on a homebrew level, um, but really gummed up the works on on our big system. Yeah, true. <laughs> so we had, I think, a three or four hour four hour runoff, um, which was bad, um, <laughs> right? And um, we didn't hit our gravity, and. You know, we we collected as much as we could. We fermented it out, and we're like, "Well, this is a you know, this is a pretty good beer, but it's not, it's not exactly what we want it to be." Um, you know, the alcohol's a little bit low; it's about eight percent. We were really shooting for nine, mm-hmm. um, and um, well, what are we going to do with it? And um, uh, Trevor, our um, sales director at the time, was like, "Well, fuck it, put it in a barrel." <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. it's like, "What are you going to do? Just put it in a barrel." So we put it in a barrel. And then, you know, about five months later, we took it out of the barrel, and that became BBT 2012. Oh. Um, and we had picked up our, you know, point and a half of alcohol by sitting in the barrel and sitting yeah. in the hot warehouse and tasted freaking amazing. And we're like, okay, well, we need to, we need to do that again because mm-hmm. that turned out well. Yeah. So that's how BBT was formed. Okay. You know, we had no intention of ever... A series of happy accidents. A series of happy yeah. accidents. So we had no, you know, we had no intention of making a Imperial Sweet Stout. We were just going to make a... Uh, you know, a porter or a sweet stout with vanilla. We had no intention of making BBT in the first place. It was just, hey, we have this beer, we need to put it somewhere because we don't want to put it down the drain. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, because it's still, you know, it's still a good beer. Um, so yeah, it's just we've, it's just been sort of that evolution, you know. And then the same way with the Seduction series. It's, okay, well, let's try these and see what works. And it's just sort of slowly evolved. Um, but that's that's kind of the fun thing about being a craft brewery is that you keep you keep trying new things and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But when it works, it's great. You know, it's a great feeling. That's, that's funny you say that it was it was ladies in the line because my wife doesn't look forward to any beers. She doesn't care that much about beers, but raspberry temptress every year. It's grab me a four pack of that. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a requirement. Was the uh, temptress named with anybody in mind? Anybody in particular? Or was it just uh, some? No, it was, it was evil temptress because you know after because <laughs> we'd been brewing it on a homebrew level for about a year or two and you know it's a nine percent beer yeah and it doesn't drink like a nine percent right. beer so it's you know it's this evil temptress yeah and then we dropped the evil and just left it with temptress <laughs> so the name the beer sort of named itself okay yeah so I'm kind of interested in your personal history I know yeah. that you were born in Belgium yep and you came over you came, you moved to North Texas when you were seven yep so. What did your parents do, and, and what brought them to the United States and Texas specifically? Uh, my my parents both have um, uh, they both worked in the pharmaceutical industry. Okay. So uh, my parents um, they worked for different pharmaceutical companies in Belgium. My dad had the opportunity to come here uh, to the home office and do a um, basically a four year stint here. Um, since my mom was already sort of in the same field, she was able to get a job at the same company. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after four years, we're like, well, life's pretty good, I guess. We yeah. should, let's try another four. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so now we're uh, 32 years later. Yeah. <laughs> we're still here. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have a brother. So did you get, did you, when you moved over, did you speak in English at the time? I did not. 
did, was it, how tough was it and what was it like trying to integrate in, in not only United States culture, but Texas culture, which is kind of its own thing? Right. Well, um, well, we didn't have a, I don't think we had a TV for the first little bit. And then, um, I started, I started second grade. Uh, we moved in May. So I started second grade in, in the fall or in, you know, late summer. And I had, um, my second grade teacher, Mrs. Poe, um, I stayed after school every day and worked on speaking good and writing good, (laughs) you know, worked on, worked on language. And, um, you know, by the end of, you know, I think six or 12, you know, by the end of the school year, um, I was just like, just like any other kid. Kids can adapt like that. So do you still speak, I assume you spoke Dutch originally, right? Yeah. Flemish. Yeah. Flemish. Uh Okay. So do you still, do you still speak? Flemish? I do. Um, not very. I don't speak it often, mm-hmm. and I don't have a great vocabulary. Right. So, you know, I've I've done one or two interviews in Flemish with, you know, Belgian newspapers or magazines or whatever. Um, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it's just really hard to find to find the words that are needed to right. carry on a adult conversation. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can uh, conversationally, you know go to the store, go to the bar, mm-hmm. whatever, <laughs> right. you know, I, I can get along fine. But if we're, if they're posing questions, like you guys are posing questions, it's really hard to yeah. try and find the vocabulary to make that work. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't speak it as much as I used to. Yeah. I know my, I, a guy I work with, he's from Russia him and mm-hmm. his wife are both from Russia and his kids, because they also were, were, uh, I don't remember if they were born in Russia or if they were born here, but they were initially only spoke Russian. Yeah. And so, once they got to school, they don't. They want to integrate as quickly as possible. Sure. The kids themselves, and so they just like refuse to speak Russian in the house. Mm. The parents are still speaking Russian to them, right. but they're answering back in English. Right. And so they're right. slowly we did, forgetting. We did some stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. We we spoke uh, we spoke Flemish at home, and we had um, uh, my parents both worked, so they had um, actually had nannies that we would bring over on visas for mm. for however long they were allowed to stay in the country. Um, just so that we wouldn't lose the language. My, my brother was six weeks old when we moved. So we, you know, they wanted to make sure that he learned, uh, Flemish, um, and made sure that we were only speaking Flemish in the house. But Mm. it's, it's really hard when you're, when you're in a, in a different country, um, where there is no shred of your original language anywhere outside of the home. Um, or even in the home, you know, you're, you got yeah. your TV, you got your radio, you got food packages. I mean, yeah. nothing is, nothing is how yeah. it was. It's gotta be tough. I, right. Yeah, it is tough. Especially so. when you're that form, those formative years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As far as I'm aware, DFW doesn't have much, much of a Flemish community. So <laughs> no, uh, there, there are Dutch speakers, Dutch speakers of North Texas is, uh-huh. uh, is a Facebook group. Right. And, uh, there's a, there's a Flemish group as well. Okay. Yeah. But you know, there's, we have meetings of, you know. 20 people yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not a not a ton so what kind of kid were you and what kind of what kind of kid do you think your parents thought you were um i was a pretty quiet kid um yeah. read a lot of comic books you know spent a lot of hours in my room yeah. playing guitar and listening to music i mean i was i don't yeah i don't know if i'm introverted or extroverted i i guess i need to take the you can be somewhere in between somewhere in between <laughs> um but uh yeah, I was always a little bit on the on the quiet side, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite comic book? Um Well, don't hurt me. 
Um, <laughs> it was the it was the late eighties, early nineties. So X Factor was huge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I had all the X Factors up until like number I don't know, eighty or something when they went to the new team, and then I was like, screw it, I give up. <laughs> um, but I do have a pretty extensive X Men collection. I'm only missing from original from 1966, so wow. Silver Age to 300. So from one to 300, I think I'm missing two or three issues. You should have an issue one. I don't have a one. Okay. I do have, <laughs> I have a two, a two, a three, and a five, and you know. So I'm only oh, missing nice. just a, a couple here and there. Yeah. Maybe uh, you get some of that Nicholas Cage money. You can buy number one someday. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know he was a. I think he ended up selling his Action Comics number one to make ends meet. I think. But, you know, he said he named his son, uh, it was, he didn't name him Clark, but... Um, <laughs> Did he name him Cal-El or something? Yeah, he named, right. Cal, he named him Cal-El or something like that. At least Cal. That's funny. Um, so, when you're through high school, what did you think you were going to be? Did you envision yourself becoming a brewer at that point? No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, so, in high school, I was, I, was really, so I was really active in the arts, and I was really active in um, science and academics. Uh, I, was, I took every art class, I took every theater class... Um, I took every science class, you know, physics, AP biology, you know, whatever they had to offer. So my parents both have PhDs. So I thought I was, I initially went into college thinking I'd go Mm -hmm. Mm pre-med. And then, um, then I realized I don't want to do that. And I was like, okay, well I'll, I'll be a, I'll be a business major. And then I realized that I really don't like accounting. Right. Um, and then, uh, and I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll be a, maybe I'll be an arts major. So I did that for a while. And then I realized, well, I'm not going to make any money <laughs> if I'm an arts major. <laughs> so I ended up with an advertising major, which is, you know, a little bit of business, a little bit of art, right. which is great. And I did that for 10 years. And, um, you know, that was, that was a lot of fun. That was a great job to have in your, in your early twenties. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a good time. Uh, and it's a, you know, made a lot of friends and made a lot of uh, lifelong friends, um, in that industry and, um, brewing became, brewing was a hobby for me. You know, I think the way a lot of brewers start out is that, well, you know, they get a, mm-hmm. they get a Mr. Beer kit or they, you know, they have a buddy that's home brewing and they help out and then they get the buck. Right. Sure. Yeah. So that was kind of how it happened for me. I had a buddy that had a Mr. Beer kit and the beer tasted like shit. And, <laughs> um, but I was like, Oh, that's neat. You can make your own beer. Hmm. Um, and then we didn't do anything for a couple of years. And then, uh, a little while later, we're like, hey, do you want to try brewing that beer again? Yeah, okay. So we went up to Homebrew Store up in, um, up in Richardson here uh, to Homebrew Headquarters. And, uh, you know, Kelly was there, and he probably thought we're a couple, <laughs> a couple of little shits and just wanted to brew beer. And um, <laughs> I love Kelly, but, oh, man, he's, he's a riot. Um, and, uh, you know, he set us up with a kit, probably expecting never to see us again. And, you know, the next week we were there. And the week after that, and the week after that, and um, became good friends with with them as well. And um, you know, the homebrew stores, as a as anyone trying to get into brewing, the homebrew store really is where you need to be. Mm. You know, a, a good homebrew store and and a good homebrew club will will really step up your game. We've been there and had a had a failed attempt and a successful <laughs> yeah. attempt. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, so what was the what was the first type? Do you remember what type of beer you guys oh, tried? I think it was just like a wheat beer. Yeah, you know, it's like let's keep it simple. Something something that doesn't need refrigeration. Something you can just throw in a closet and forget about for a couple of weeks. 
Nope. Yeah, a couple of wheat beers and then, um, you know, pale ale and IPA. And then we got a fermentation fridge and tried lagers. Um, and that's where, that's where our liquid lager recipe came from. Nope. So we won uh, gold at Blue Bonnet with that. And then we uh, took that to nationals and won a bronze with that. So, yeah. How was that first beer? I think it was good. <laughs> I don't remember. Nothing to remember. It's, it's been a while. We, we had a drain pour IPA for our yeah. first beer. That was a bad idea. And we had a sticky kitchen IPA. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> um, so when, I guess as a home brewer and you're deep into the advertising game, mm-hmm. when did you feel like I need to pull the trigger and do this? And what was the moment? Um, yeah, I've had a lot of people ask me that, and there wasn't like a moment. It wasn't like I woke up one day and said, hey, I'm going to open up a brewery. It's mm. just sort of the way that life went. So there were a lot of little steps along the way that got me down this path. And, you know, one of them was, it was 2008, people were cutting budgets left and right, um, advertising is the first thing to go, and, um, you know, the work just wasn't, just they just didn't have the budget anymore, and it wasn't that much, you know, travel was cut, um, do more with less, do more with less, do more with less, and years and years and years of that. And uh, it kind of diluted the creative experience for me. So that's where that's where brewing kind of helped me have a creative outlet because no one was telling me, do it with less. It was, I can use whatever the hell I want in this, right. you know? Right. Um, I can... I can make a beer with gold flakes if I want because nobody will care. I can, t- you know, I could take it to the top of the mountain and and collect, <laughs> you know, rainwater on Mount Everest if I wanted to. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yep. there there were no limitations, and that was the really great great feeling is that there's no limitations. One, I'm still creating something because advertising is creative. You're creative, mm-hmm. creating mm-hmm. something. So there's no limitations to beer. I'm creating something, and it's something that I enjoy the final product of, mm-hmm. which wasn't necessarily what. I was doing in my career. Sure. I was being creative as much as I could with the budget that kept getting cut. And I wasn't necessarily proud of what I had created at the very end. Right. So this was a complete departure from that. Um, which, uh, which, which was very appealing to me as a creative person. So, um, started getting really involved in homebrew, homebrew club and, and competitions and getting feedback on beer and getting judge feedback on beer because your mom can tell you that you, you make the best beer in the world right. but until you get it in front of a judge mm-hmm. you know let's be real <laughs> so did that and then I applied to the American Brewers Guild um, which was one of the very few places that you could get a brewer's certification it was uh, Brewers Guild Siebel or uh, UC Davis that was it and UC Davis was a four year program so I'm like well I can't move to California and go to school. Right. Right. So it was really just um, Siebel and uh, ABG because they had remote study courses. Mm -hmm. So I applied to ABG and uh, forgot I applied (laughs) because there was about a two-year waiting list. Wow. So, you know, a year and a half later, I get this letter in the mail um, that says, hey, you've been accepted. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Oh, yeah, I applied to that. So I was like, okay, you know, and then I, I sat there with my wife and scratched my head for a minute and I'm like, okay, well, well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll do this. Um, and just kind of see how it goes. Mm. So it's, it's about a six month program and it's, um, you know, about 20 hours a week. Um, so I would go, go to work during the day, come home, do that. And that was my life for about six months. Mm. 
this where your RAR involvement came in? So that's after. So at the end of the course, um, to complete the course that I had applied for, you had to do a five-week unpaid apprenticeship. So (laughs) very naively, um, I thought that my work would be cool with that. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And... um, after meeting with HR, it became very, very clear that they were not cool with that. <laughs> right. And now as a business owner, uh, I'm like, well, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> right. So um, anyway, sorry for all of that, guys. Um, but, uh, you know, basically got, got an ultimatum that said, hey, do you want to keep working here or do you want to go do this brew, go do this beer thing? And I went home and thought about it for, I slept on it for a night, and the next day I handed in my resignation mm-hmm. um, with a very, very supportive wife because we would be losing half the income. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and said, you know, go do it. Um, so, uh, so I did. So my last day at work was the day before Christmas of 2000 and 2010. I went to go work at RAR the day after Christmas, 2011. Stayed on there until about mm, April. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, we found out that we were pregnant with our first child. Good time. <laughs> yeah, good times. Uh, so, with uh, you know, I was I was basically breaking even with gas costs and what I was making. <laughs> right, <laughs> driving to Fort Worth every day. Mm-hmm. So we're like, well, that's not sustainable. Um, let's look at opening up a brewery in Dallas. Right. Sure. So we did, and we got um, so we got funding and um, started looking and. Anyway, long story short, here we are. How did you get your funding? Was it investors, or did you take out a commercial loan? We are we are completely family-owned. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Speaking of family, uh, you have family back in Belgium still, I assume, right? I do. Uh, have you ever taken them your beer, and what do, you, what do they think of it? Uh, my parents, so I don't, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, so we don't travel uh, across, across <laughs> yeah, the Atlantic Ocean okay, all that often fair. anymore. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but my parents, my parents go a couple of times a year, and they've, they've taken some beer over there, so... Mm. <laughs> Grandma's had the beer, which is good. <laughs> um, so being one of the preeminent brewers here in not only in Dallas, but in Texas as well, where do you see yourself going from here? Um, you know, right now it's, uh, we're, we're really f- focused on um, being the, the hometown beer, you know, really focusing on our home market mm-hmm. and, um, and kind of taking a step back and, and uh, and continuing what we set out to do in the first place, which was, you know, make beer for whichever neighborhood you call home. Right. And, you know, 80 to 90% of our sales are still in North Texas. So we just want to really make sure that we're taking home, taking care of our, our home base. Right. Um, and then branching out into new markets when it makes sense. Yeah, it seems like it might get overwhelming pretty quickly. If you, cause it you does. Because you probably have to take out outside funding and yeah. to expand any... Sure. much larger absolutely and you know it's i th- i think with the way that the industry is going um i think it's it's one it's a smart thing to do um and uh i think we're we're gonna reach a point of saturation and i think that's gonna come sooner or later yeah. sooner than later so do you think uh, that's just my personal opinion yeah. you know if you if you read the ba data at breweries per capita in texas there's like room for another 300 breweries <laughs> right. but uh, you know i just i just don't see that happening i don't see it 
just from the influx of everything we're getting across the country now, we're getting kind of a beer sweet spot in Texas now. Yeah. And we don't have the tap space to support that right now. We don't have the tap space and we don't have the uh, the cooler space. Yeah. I mean, you if know? it had more of a, maybe a Portland vibe where you have one little pub that's serving one neighborhood or something, maybe you yeah. could do more of that. But, and the, and that's, but that's yeah. the way it's going. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. If I were to open up right now, I wouldn't open a, a manufacturing brewery. I'd open right. up a... Brew a pub. small brew pub, or even a brew, or at least a brew pub model, right. not necessarily have food, but sure, just be able to be able to sell to go. Yeah, right. Yeah, hopefully that'll change someday. <laughs> hopefully, it's fun it, being the last state that doesn't allow that. Is yeah, it? it's a downside. <laughs> Thank to you, Texas. Dallas is not very walkable either in most parts of the city, and I think that's probably why Portland can thrive more on that model because it's a lot more like England or something, where you can have the pub in the corner that does there. It's that, and it's it's part of their culture, right? Yeah. You know, it's. That didn't happen overnight. Yeah. That happened over the last 20 years, right. 20, 30 years. True. And the city has become, it really embraced it as, as, a, as a tourism draw. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, there's a lot of beer tourism in Portland. Yeah. Um, I think smart cities and, and smart states recognize the, uh, the value that craft beer brings from a, from a tourism standpoint mm-hmm. and really embrace it. And, and the ones that do become... You know, I mean, look at Asheville. Right. Take it Who the hell knew where the hell Asheville was four years ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good right? point. Right? Yeah. And now it's it's like the Portland of the, the East Coast. Yeah, true. Yeah. So it's it's smart communities that, that recognize the value in craft beer um, and recognize that that it is a tourist draw, that it is a, a job creator, mm-hmm. um, and that it, you know, increases the tax base as well, you know, through alcohol yeah. sales, so... And those breweries, a bunch like yourself, most of them reinvest back in the community, not only through Absolutely. jobs, but through charity and sponsoring local events and things like that. So Absolutely. It's, it's kind of a neat circle of life that, yeah. you know, you can think global but act local. Yeah, you know. it's a symbiotic relationship. We wouldn't be sure. here without beer drinkers, and beer drinkers wouldn't be here without craft beer. Yep, absolutely. Right? Yeah, that's very true. So when, how quickly did you, I assume you started out not only president founder, but you were the mm-hmm. head brewer. For a good while, for not as long as you think. Yeah. Um, I was head brewer for two months. Oh, okay. That was way <laughs> yeah. My for, question was going to be like, how hard was it to give up the role of head brewer? It wasn't when you had to run the business. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I like having my fingers in a lot of different pots. I guess. Um, I don't think I would be happy brewing all day long. Mm-hmm. or doing one thing all day. I mean, I ran the bottling line for a year and a half every time that thing ran. I mean, right. that was, mm-hmm. you know, that was my baby for a while. Um, I've always been involved in recipe formulation. Um, I still, you know, I still, I still love the creative aspect of it, um, but I got to run the business too, you know? Sure. So there's only so many hats that you can put on your head. Yeah. And um, I think one thing one piece of advice that that I really take to heart is make sure you hire people that are smarter than you. So our first our first brewer, uh, Jason, he came from Oscar Blues, and you know knew a lot more about brewing and cellaring than I did in the four months that I worked in a brewery. Mm-hmm. Right? I knew I knew enough to be able to speak the same language, but he had a lot more practical knowledge mm-hmm. and. It, it made sense to hire to hire somebody who knew how to do it better than I did. Right. Right? And that goes with everything. That goes with sales. That goes with, mm-hmm. you know, uh, marketing, True. whatever. 
I'm still involved in everything. And I think yeah. as a, as a founder, um, you need to be involved in every, in every aspect of it, but you need to, to hire people who, who are, are really competent and that's their, their, their one job is to do that one thing. Because if you try and do it all, yeah. it, you just get diluted. It's hard to be in the weeds on every single aspect. Yep, yeah. Exactly. Okay, so you're kind of like to relate it back to comics. You're the Nick Fury who brought the Avengers together. <laughs> That's right. Special power sets. Right. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> so right. So you're the Nick Fury of beer. That's I'm, <laughs> I'm the Professor X of Lakewood Brewing Company. So I'm curious to know, and this will be our last question. We'll move on to the lightning round because sure. I know you've got a full day ahead of you. But um, what's been the worst day at Lakewood that you can remember? Conversely, what's the best day that you can remember? Oh, God, the worst day at Lakewood. Um. Uh, so when we got the, I don't know if you can see it in the shot, but we we have 180 barrel tanks behind us over here, and um, we so that was a big size up from the 90s yeah. that we had next door, mm-hmm. and the uh, the first couple of times that we brewed into those 180s, when we brewed Temptress into those 180s, um, the yeast got really pissed off. And made some really bad beer, so we ended up dumping a lot of beer down yeah, the drain. That's a lot of money down the drain, right? Yeah, there. That's a lot of money down the drain. But you know what? I would much rather dump beer down down the drain than put bad beer in somebody's mouth. Yeah, that's a great absolutely. Yeah. To have, yeah. Yep. And we, you know, we've we we you know shit happens. Sure. Um, you know, whether it be someone's fault or whether it just be a mechanical failure or whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. where where that does happen, yeah. and um, it's a day when that does happen but it happens and we know that it happens and we try to mitigate that as much as possible but you got to do the right thing and send it down the drain yeah. sure so what's what was the best day the day you opened or <laughs> um man the best day i don't know we have good days around here yeah you know <laughs> it's uh it's 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 the small victories that that are really good yeah. you know when you have a really fantastic filter run or you have you have a canning run where you have like one can rejected off the entire run you know yeah. it's 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 very gratifying to have the efficiencies that you've invested in come to fruition mm, you know that's really fun and then you know the 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 other stuff that we do with the community you know like we're the we're the main sponsor of Dallas pride parade this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's huge. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not something that we could have ever imagined five years ago, hell two years ago. So that's, that's really cool. And that's really special and, and, and really, really need to be involved with the community and, um, and be able to do those things. Yeah. Your marketing team seems to just really knock it out of the park a lot. You guys, Seem to be the banner behind the stages at things like Index Fest. Right, and I, I, your presence is very, very well known. It's it's got to be great. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. All right, so we'll move on to the lightning round. These are short questions. Okay. They don't have to be short answers necessarily, but uh, this is a little bit of debate. Is brewing more art or science? It's uh, equal parts. That's a fair answer. <laughs> so, if you're going to give uh, one piece of advice to somebody who thinks they want to open up a brewery, what would it be? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe make the small brew public you're talking about. Uh, no. Uh, all right, oh, man. If you if you want to open up a brewery, look. I was told no by multiple people. Um, follow your dreams. Just do it. Sure. Yeah. You know. Just do it. Have a good. Have a safety net. Mm-hmm. And uh, and have and have a uh, have a support structure. Yeah. So um, it's really important. Uh, know that if you have a family 
that is a complete lifestyle change. It's not another job. It's a lifestyle change. Nope. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people that, that end up in marriage counseling <laughs> after, um, after opening up their own business. Uh, you know, I can only speak for brewing. I'm sure it is with any business. It's, you know, it's a, it's a very stressful thing. Um, and it's all, in, it's all encompassing. So, you know, just make sure that um, you're ready for that. And, you know, the, the, the other thing that you kind of need to do a gut check on is do you want your hobby to be your job? Right. That's the other thing. Yeah. Because I don't have any hobbies anymore. <laughs> are you still seven days a week here? Or are you, uh, you um, nine to fives now? Or? No, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, I mean, it's always seven days a week, but I'm, I'm home for two of those days. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so what was your uh, first beer you ever had of any type? The first beer I ever had? Yeah. If you recall. I think the first beer I, I ever had was um, a, uh, an Abbey table beer from the Abbey, um, by my grandmother's house. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. That's yeah. Very distinguished. It was very sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was probably about three, three and a half percent. I drank a bottle of it and I took a nap. So I'd probably <laughs> fall into your first craft beer as well then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't start out with a Bud Light or something. No, 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 no. <laughs> what did your dad drink when he, when y'all moved over? Was he a big beer drinker? My parents have always been wine drinkers. Okay. Um, my dad likes the, the big stuff. Okay. Like he likes the Belgian stuff. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite beer that you make? That I make no just depend on the type time of year or yeah you know it really depends on the on time of year on the mood you know I mm-hmm. I'm always really excited when Tolan Toil comes out that's one of my favorite seasonals I'm always excited when Zomer comes out you know I'm always excited when we have a seasonal come out because I haven't had it for you know for months and months and I was like oh yeah <laughs> new <laughs> beer sense. so it's that's really cool but you know I'll go I'll go six months without you know besides QC stuff. Um, without like sitting down and enjoying a class of temptress. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then it's like, oh, wow, we make really good beer. <laughs> this is why this is a flagship. Oh, right. <laughs> That's why we did that. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's cool just to be, you know, because we make so many different beers and we're always, we're always tasting them throughout the process and, you know, making sure everything's up to snuff. Um, but really, you know, being able to focus and, and, and not be drinking at work, mm-hmm. you sure. know, being at a restaurant or wherever, and then just, just getting a beer and really enjoying it. You know, I went to Lakewood Landing last week and um, I had a hop trap and I'm like, I don't think I've had a hop trap for probably three months. Mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, that's a good beer. <laughs> so it's fun. It's like you, you sort of rediscover what you do every day. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's fun. Speaking of that, uh, outside of Lakewood, what's your favorite brewery and why are they your favorite brewery? What's my favorite brewery? Yeah. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> um, Tell you what, though, I think my Desert Island beer would be a one and a half year old Orval. That'd be my Desert Island beer. No, I love that beer. And last question: Dank West Coast IPA or Hazy East Coast IPA? <laughs> Which Dank. fashion trend will you follow? Dank all the way. Dank yep. all the way. Wayne Benz, thank you for yep. uh, being on the show, episode one hundred. Thank really you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it all the time. Uh, appreciate the great beer. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for listening to episode 100 of Brew Bloods. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Mark. Uh, you're welcome. Because I did listen to you, so I listened to it. <laughs> I'm not listening to you. Uh, we appreciate all the feedback you've given us, all the listenership. Uh, if you know anybody that likes beer podcasts, likes beer and or podcasts, likes yeah. listening to things, sure. tell them about our show. If you like to, yeah, fill the voids in your day with talking about beer, this yeah. is the one to do it with. Yeah, if you're extremely nerdy about beer, we're the show for you, I would hope. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, thanks to uh, all the reviews. Give us on iTunes. If you have any more feedback, you can always email us at brewbloodshow at gmail.com. Call us at 469-573-BEER. That's 469-573-2337. Hit us up and uh, upvote us on Reddit. That'd be on, nice. That would, would appreciate that. We'd get a lot of downvotes. Yeah. Uh, check us out on all the socials. We are Brewbloods just about anywhere you can think of. And yep. we should note that we have started our Brews in the News email newsletter. It comes out most Fridays, I would like to think. We being Marcus has done that. Uh, yeah. And it's not really my no, You're going to help me with it. Um, <laughs> I'll review it, is, it when you send it and say that was good. It is a weekly wrap-up of beer news. Uh, what I like to think are interesting stories, stuff we'll yeah. post on Facebook. It's just a nice little tidy wrap-up of that. Uh, just go to our website, brewballs.net, and in the header there, there's a Brews in the News link, and you just submit your email, and we will never, ever sell your email address. Sounds like an old uh, list called from Zentertainment. Yeah, we used, to run, we used to run that thing back in the day, <laughs> back in the early aughts, around uh, old, old ideas become new again. Yeah, the circle of life. Yep. We're the uh, hipsters of uh, internet media. Of email. We're, bringing, <laughs> we're resurrecting the email newsletter. <laughs> All right. We'll catch you guys next week, hopefully. It's going to be Palm Pilot friendly only. <laughs> for episode 101 of Brewbloods. Probst. Probst. Probst.